0: So today we're going to look at the rest of chapter 15 of the Acts of the Apostles. And um, I come to it with a kind of mixed bag of emotions. Uh, This uh, particular portion of the Acts of the Apostles, particularly from verse 36 that we'll look at quite in detail in a moment, that speaks about the division of Paul and Barnabas has been something that I've reflected on um, over many years, and to some depth. And um, really, with that central reflection, wrote a book called Multiplying Missional Leaders. And so, in one sense, this feels like very familiar territory to me, but there's nothing worse than stale bread. So, um, I'm going to make sure that um, we don't get stale bread today, Maybe some of it's brought out of the freezer and warmed up. But, um, but hopefully none of it's stale. But then I'm also conscious, as I immerse myself in the scriptures week by week, how very much I live out the realities that we find here. And it's been, I think perhaps because of that, that I've been connected back to a deep sense of brokenness in my own self. I don't know whether you're able to connect with your own brokenness, with your own sense of need, with your own sense of weakness. But most certainly, uh, this last little while, I've been conscious of that, conscious of my need to, to be healed in areas of brokenness in my own life where I felt rejected, abandoned in the past. And although you assume that you've been healed of these things, of course, the Holy Spirit ensures that we cycle through and he touches them afresh and brings fresh and deeper healing. And so it's quite a, it's quite a raw and tender place for me as I come to this passage. Chapter 15 and verse 22 then the apostles and the elders with the whole church decided to choose some of their own men and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They chose Judas, called Barsabbas and Silas, two men who were leaders among the brothers. With them, they sent the following letter, the apostles and elders, your brothers, to the Gentile believers in Antioch, Syria and Cilicia. greetings. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. You are to abstain from food, sacrificed to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. You will do well to avoid these things. Farewell. The men were sent off and went down to Antioch where they gathered the church together and delivered the letter. The people read it and were glad for its encouraging message Judas and Silas, who themselves were prophets, said much to encourage and strengthen the brothers. After spending some time there, they were sent off by the brothers with the blessing of peace to return to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, where they and many others taught and preached the word of the Lord. We'll read the rest of the passage in a moment. Now, last week we looked... Quite a lot of this and understood how it was that God was bringing unity where there was potential division, and in fact, actual division between the different cultures that existed in the church at the time. There were those who considered it necessary for the new believers to become members of the ancient people of God, they needed to become Jews to be true followers. Of Jesus, And their understanding of the redemptive work of Jesus was that everyone would be included into the nation of Israel as an actuality. That this was no metaphorical connection. This was no, this was no picture of what it might be in the future. This was the actuality that God desired. And after much discussion and testimony and sharing and the seeking of wise counsel, they came to the conclusion that this was not what God was saying. And so released the mission to the Gentile world of which you and I have been beneficiaries and blessed beyond measure. And of course, all of that we've looked at and now we see the mechanism by which the church in Jerusalem, the leaders in Jerusalem, sought to disseminate this particular truth. And they sent Judas and Silas, men who were known to be prophets, to do the work of endorsing, underlining, and as it were, reinforcing what it was that was written in this very short, brief letter. And there are two words that describe what it was that God did through those men. And I thought that it was interesting And I thought that perhaps we ought to look at these words together. Verse 31 The people read the letter and were glad for its encouraging message. Judas and Silas, who themselves were prophets, said much to encourage and strengthen the brothers. Said much to encourage and strengthen the brothers. These are words that are familiar in the Old and New Testament. These are words that would be common within the vocabulary of all of us. But perhaps we need to look at their meaning in their origin to understand what it was that the Holy Spirit was doing through these men who came to speak on behalf of the church in Jerusalem. They strengthened They strengthened the Christians. Now that word means that you place a person in in a portion, in in a location that is secure, that is steady, and is founded in such a way that it will not be shaken. So what was it? That was going on as this word from God was declared. People were given a sense of security. People were given a sense of stability. People were given a sense that if they stood in this security and this stability, whatever else happened around them would not affect their place or their standing. Some wonder why it is that we need the Word of God. Some wonder why it is that we need the declared Word of God. There is a difference between reading the Word of God and hearing it declared. What happens in the declaration is that faith comes by hearing, it doesn't say faith comes by reading. Interesting that, isn't it? That there's a mechanism built into the way in which we've been created. That even if you're reading it, you need to read it as if it's being declared to you. Because it's in the hearing. It's in the animated living word that we're established and strengthened. And if you've been around in the faith long enough, you'll know the difference. You'll recognize the, the distinction that there is between the maturing and, the, and the, the digging and the excavating of God's word that you do by yourself or with your spouse or with your friend or house church and what it is that happens in the declaration of the word, and as these men declared the word of God, the church was strengthened. And then this other word, they were encouraged. Now, initially, when you look at that, you'd say, well, surely that means that courage is put into the person. And quite honestly, when I looked at it, I thought, well, obviously that's what it means. in, in. Courage, courage. So courage is put into the person. But that's not what it says. The word paracletus or paraclasis is a word that suggests that courage is being called forth, that courage is already in the believer. That courage is not something that is external to the believer. That courage is not something that is foreign or alien to the believer. That courage is something that is resident within the believer. And needs to be stirred and awakened and called forth. So how could that be? How could it be? that in the declaration of God's word, courage is called forth? Well, simply, it is this. The word of Christ connects with the presence of Christ within you. And the presence of Christ within you witnesses to the word of Christ that you're hearing. You see, if I asked you, is Jesus brave? There'd be nobody in the room who'd say he wasn't. If I said to you, is Jesus really courageous? There'd be nobody in the room who'd say anything other than, of course, Jesus is the most courageous example that we can ever imagine. And Jesus lives within you. And so when when courage is being called forth, it's not you stirring your effete, incapable, partial courage. It's It's not you or I seeking to marshal whatever we have within us to perhaps taking the day or perhaps making a difference so often we within this glorious american culture that has so much benefit and blessing find ourselves focusing on ourselves rather than on him because that's what we've been taught to do from the from the day that we drew milk from our brothers from our mother's breast not our brothers We've been taught that it's down to you. We've been taught that if you just try a little harder, if you'd work just a little longer, if you'd be just a little braver, isn't it, after all, the home of such people. But I much prefer the courage of Jesus. Because he's got a lot more courage than me. He's got a lot more bravery than I have. And alongside that courage, he's got enormous wisdom. If it was left to me and my courage, I'd crash into things just in a crazy fashion. It's the courage within us that is being called forth by the proclamation of God's word. So that's what's happening. And I want you to just hold that thought about Christ within you. I want you to hold that, that understanding that as a believer, the great mystery of our faith Is that Christ is within us and He is the hope of glory? This is something that is beyond our telling, something that is beyond our understanding, but is foundational to the way in which we understand our life. Let's continue. Acts 15, verse 36. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit the brothers in all the towns where we preached the word of the Lord to see how they're doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus but Paul chose Silas and left commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord he went through Syria and Cilicia strengthening the churches so there are at least 3 things that we need to look at in this particular passage the first of course is what is Paul's problem with John Mark? The second is, why is there an irreconcilable difference between Paul and Barnabas? And third, what is the idea behind Paul taking Silas with him on his journey instead of going along with Barnabas and Mark? We can deal with that last one quite briefly, and quite simply, Silas, one of the people that's been sent to proclaim the word of the Lord to Antioch, has clearly demonstrated that he is a prophet. Paul later on in the New Testament will say that the church is founded on the work of the apostles and prophets with Jesus as the cornerstone. He's going to found the church he's going to plant the church he's going to strengthen and establish the church and so he needs someone who will who will complement his apostolic ministry and from a practical point of view he needs someone who understands the letter that he's going to read to the churches in Galatia and so he takes Silas along and what an adventure that was for Silas an amazing adventure amazing time soon other members would join the team timothy and then luke and they together would venture into europe for the first time and begin to change the method of mission into one that embraces the house church as the principal agent of god's declaration of goodness to the world And when we look at that, I'm sure many of you who are part of the house churches and households of Apex will be interested to to hear. But let's go back to the other principal concerns of this passage. What is it that Paul has got as a problem with John Mark? John Mark, remember, is this young man who may well be identified in Mark's gospel as one of the other disciples, not one of the 12 who's there at Gethsemane, who escapes being captured by one of the guards by, by allowing his clothes to be taken from him. He's out in his nightshirt, it would appear, in the Garden of Gethsemane, listening from a distance, wondering what's going on, because the disciples and Jesus have left the home of his mother. The mother of John Mark, remember, was the person who hosted Jesus, and the early church in Jerusalem. And so John Mark has been one of these people who's been at the very center of everything, from the the story of the passion of Jesus all the way through to Pentecost. He's there when Peter comes out of prison, and he's sent with Barnabas, his relative. Paul tells us that he's his relative, he goes with his relatives with Paul on this first missionary journey and then when he gets to Perga and Pamphylia and sees where it is that Paul and Barnabas are going into Galatia, we talked about this didn't we, he realized that they were going into the most fearsome, the most terrifying, the most dangerous place in the world and he turned back And Paul said to Barnabas, I can't trust him because he turned back previously. Now, Barnabas is described as a good man full of grace and the Holy Spirit. So perhaps Barnabas saw something in John Mark that Paul was unable to see. What was it it that Paul did not see? Well, he no doubt saw a sense of calling, of course. But beyond calling, was there a competency? Well, certainly this young man would not only become the writer of the gospel of Mark, would not only be the one who accompanied Peter... In his missionary journeys, as the memory of the church tells us. But according to ancient history, would be the first father of the African church. The first leader of the church in, in Alexandria. Where he would be martyred for the faith. So this is an amazing guy. With incredible Competency. But there was a problem. And it was either his character or his capacity. Now listen carefully. You can have a great character, but not have enough capacity. You can be the kind of person that wants to do well. You can be the kind of person that seeks to to interact with people with grace and care and humility and love. But when you're put under pressure, you buckle because you've not been on long enough journeys to find the place of emptiness Which is the place where God's grace begins. So often, with people of competence, with people of character, they have to discover where their edge is. And Mark found his edge but didn't find grace to continue. You see, capacity is a much misunderstood reality and concept. And it's one that I fear the people of the emerging generations will find it difficult to discover. It's very hard to find your edge if there's always a support structure provided by the human beings around you. It's very hard to find the place of emptiness where you cannot continue, but you know that God can. If it feels like you have almost limitless resources surrounding you. Helicopter parents. Some people looked up then like you knew who you were. Helicopter parents who've been hovering over your young for the entirety of their lives. And the Black Hawk parents who are still calling the university as if it were elementary school on behalf of your children. The Black Hawk parents who are calling the companies and the corporations to speak on behalf of your children before they get interviewed. Remember what it is that you may well be doing, robbing your children of growing in their capacity. Capacity is enormously important. And it was something that John Mark had not yet discovered. I don't think it was an issue of character. I don't think it was an issue of competency. I don't think it was an issue of calling. All of those things, Barnabas and Paul would have been more than capable of observing but somebody from within his own family might have found it difficult to identify the issue of capacity in Mark. Because we tend to run to the help of those within our families. And by that, do them a misjustice. A disservice. It's an interesting subject, isn't it, that we see in the first part of what it is that we've looked at in this chapter how divisions are closed and people become one. And at the end of our chapter, we discover that those who have been one are now divided. And notice the way in which Luke records it for us. He records it with absolute honesty, with absolute transparency, and with these words, they were sent commended to the grace of God. Luke, you'll remember, is the one who articulates for us the pain Of Jesus separating from his family, his friends, his neighborhood. In Nazareth. Where he's rejected. Luke, you'll remember. Is the one who records the amazing story of Jesus. Of the runaway son. And how the father longs and waits for him. And even when the son returns... There's great division between the older and younger son within the family. You see, these are realities that though sad, appear to be unavoidable within the human experience. And if we paper over them, we miss the opportunity For the principal gift of God. Grace. If we paper over these things, we miss the great opportunity. You see, I've read all of the commentaries that I think are available on this text. Obviously I haven't, but you know what I mean. Lots and lots and lots of them. And um, it's amazing how even... Really clever people seem to do some really odd things. So, for instance, the text doesn't take sides. Do you notice that? The text that we just read didn't take sides, just reported it. And yet, it seems as though the commentators and preachers on this text need to take sides. Was Barnabas right? Or was Paul right? Right? Would it have been better for Paul to realize that the grace of God was enough and that Barnabas was right to bring him along? Or was it correct that Barnabas understood that forgiveness is a gift but trust is earned and that Mark had not yet earned the trust to regain his place in the team? Who knows? What the text does is tell us the truth and commend them to the grace of God. And here's the thing. Some things you can't fix. Some things you can't fix. So what are you going to do about that? What are you going to do about the stuff you can't fix? What are you going to do about the situations where you really, really want something, but the other person really, really doesn't want it? What are you going to do about that? What are you going to do about the day when just with transparency and honesty, you just can't come to an agreement? What Luke says we should do is commend one another to the grace of God. Now, I know that this probably doesn't speak to anybody's condition. That there are no disputes in our culture, in our politics or church. And that, of course, With enough pressure, we're going to get everyone to agree with us. The pressure of right argument. Gracious posture. Kindly words. Good intentions. Surely. Surely the prayer of Jesus in John 17, is going to be fulfilled in our midst, and we will be functionally one. Well, I'm 63 years old. I've been a Christian a long time. I've not seen it yet. And will I see it, this side of glory? So what should we do, friends? What should we do? Paul makes it very clear to people in Colossae who are wrestling with trying to get everything right. And he says this, it's Christ in you. That is the hope of glory. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. Let the word of Christ rule within you. You see, you and I, if we are believers, are people who are inhabited by God Himself. Jesus has taken up residence within us by his spirit. And because Jesus has taken up residence within us, he's taken up residence in the same way that he began his residence here on earth, full of grace and truth. And from his grace... We've received grace upon grace. And because of that, we know that we need grace. I know that the broken places in my life need grace. Because as yet, they're not integrated. They're not complete. They're not healed. I need grace to cover the brokenness. I need grace to be underneath the pain. I need grace in the midst of my weakness. And because I need grace, I can give it even when it feels like the outcome is disappointing. Our task, our task is to allow the presence of Christ to define us. And so when Jesus is rejected by Nazareth, feeling all of the feelings that you or I would feel, he's able to give grace. And move on. When Jesus tells the story. Of the prodigal father. With two sons. He's able to demonstrate and reveal grace. That even in their difficulties and separation. All are included in the father's house. You and I are not better than anyone else. And so we give grace. And if we can't fix it, we admit it. Do we try? Of course. Do we wrestle in prayer day and night? Of course. But if at some point the referee of peace that's what Paul means when he says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. The word rule is the, is the referee. If the referee in your heart tells you, it may be fixable, but I can't fix it, then give grace. Commend them to grace.